This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granillo. Well, it is not a guarantee, but Washington schools are on track to reopen for in-person classes this fall. That's according to State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Chris Rakedahl. His office has released 55 pages of guidelines for reopening. Among the recommendations, masks will be required for all students and staff, including kindergartners. Students can also wear a face shield instead if they'd like. And this won't necessarily be a a full reopening. Each school district will be able to or will have to make different decisions based on case numbers in their area. We may still see a blend of in-person and online classes for some students, likely high school students. And Seattle Public Schools is expected to release its own recommendations this Friday on June 19th. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. And Governor Inslee has clarified that all of this, not a guarantee, uh, just a way to prepare, Dave. The teachers union, the Washington Education Association, raised some objections to this. The president, Larry Delaney, asked whether teachers and students could follow social distancing guidelines in a typical classroom. And the teachers I know, Aaron, are right now trying to deal with how this is going to look day to day. In some classrooms, there's not going to be enough room to put six feet between students or between students and the teacher. And so they're looking at either different shifts, which then brings up a whole host of new problems, especially for parents, because many parents, of course, need school for daycare. Mm. And if they're only getting half as much school, they have to make arrangements for the rest of the day. Uh, My guess is that parents are now so desperate just to get their kids out of the house for any time at all that they will accept this. But there are still a lot of details to be ironed out. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point because class size is is always an issue, right? Overcrowding. And now if you have students who are supposed to be six feet apart, their desks six feet apart away, well, that that limits how many people can be inside of a classroom. Uh, what do you do? The, the problem here is, is, is there's no real good solution if you have teachers who are worried for their safety and catching the virus from students who can be asymptomatic. Um, and, you know, it's parents, like you say, who, who want their kids to be back in school and who want that uh, education to be back to normal. What I do know is that the plan is to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Students on buses, in the classroom, in person, all wearing masks, of course. But whether it continue will depend on whether that spreads the virus. As coronavirus cases spike around parts of the states, the message from our state health department is... This is not over. We all need to, you know, make sure that we're doing everything we can to try to slow transmission. That's state health officer Dr. Kathy Lofi. She says there have been particularly large increases in Benton, Yakima, Spokane and Franklin counties. This new report from the state health department has traced the increase of coronavirus cases to Memorial Day weekend. And new predictions from the Institute for Disease Modeling shows that six counties, all in eastern Washington, have not yet reached their peak number of COVID-19 cases. Well, this is exactly what public health experts warned would happen, Dave, as restrictions are relaxed and more people move about. No surprise here, cases would rise. Right. And what can you do? I mean, Dr. Lofi says the trends are an important reminder to continue to practice social distancing, to continue to wear face coverings. In eastern Washington, the projections in at least three counties show they're at risk of recording hundreds of new cases a day by the end of June. And as for western Washington, Dr. Lofi says things seem to be holding steady for now. Oh. 
the trends in western Washington seem to be holding fairly flat. We are watching the data really closely given all the recent large protests that have happened in western Washington. What about the other states, Aaron? Yeah, let's talk about Oregon, just south of us. It has paused its planned reopening as coronavirus cases have spiked there. Governor Kate Brown, she put all county applications for reopening on hold for a week. She calls this a statewide yellow lights. Very different story in Arizona, where it's all systems go there. Even as that state becomes the nation's latest coronavirus hotspot, hospitals there at 85 percent capacity, more people are dying from COVID-19 since the state relaxed stay-at-home orders last month. But still, the governor there, Doug Ducey, is not requiring residents to wear a mask in public and is against any new COVID-19 restrictions. What are we to make of these two very different approaches, Dave? Well, there are some states that are desperate to open up the economy. I think most states are desperate to open up the economy. I would be interested in seeing where those COVID cases in Arizona are coming from. I know it's a retirement mecca for people of a certain age, and that, of course, is the most vulnerable group. And in those areas where large numbers of senior citizens congregate, you have to think that the the self-interest there would be for everyone to at least wear a mask if they can't stay completely isolated. You know, Arizona is more of a sort of a purple state in a lot of ways, but historically it's been a, it's been a Republican state. And I think most of the other conservative states have sort of been following this model that Governor Ducey has been. I mean, are they saying the economy has to get back up and running um, and, you know, people can can take the risk if they want to go outside and they're OK with the case numbers rising as long as the economy gets back up and running. I mean, is that is the is that the message we're supposed to be taking away? I think it's fair to say the more conservative governors see the economic damage as being almost as deadly as the virus itself in different ways, perhaps, but in the way that has put pressure on families, in the way that it has, in many cases, forced people out of their homes. That's a real problem. The measures to prevent it are clear, though, and they involve all the things that we've heard of again and again and again. What those states that are trying to open up have to be prepared for is what do you do if the hospitals fill up? I'm a little surprised that um, Arizona is at 85 percent capacity. I know Washington State was even at the height of the virus, was never even close to that. So uh, no state wants to be in the position of where New York was, what, uh, back in April, mm-hmm. where you saw gurneys in the hallways. That, I think, also has a, a political downside that's uh, at least as bad as as uh, economic catastrophe. So uh, I predict if that happens, there will have to be some sort of extreme measures because uh, you can't have happened what happened in New York. I lived in Arizona for a while, and uh, I I met my wife there, so she still has family there. And I know a lot of the talk in Arizona a few months ago was, you know, when we heat up, and it's like 100 degrees there now, that should be virus-killing weather. Uh, That doesn't seem to be the case now. You you look at a a state like Arizona, where it is, I mean, it's, you know, triple digits there now. They're they're seeing the cases still rise. Yeah. Well, it's not dangerous outdoors. Right. But indoors, if you do a lot of indoor activity close to a lot of people, it is much more contagious than the traditional influenza. And uh, that much we know. And if the people in Arizona didn't know it before, based on the numbers, they must know it by now. 
Can the country's medical system afford the cost of treating COVID-19? The Seattle Times profiled the $1.2 million hospital bill one 70-year-old man is now faced with. Now, his case was extraordinary in the hospital for more than 60 days, quite literally on the brink of death. Then there is the case of a woman in her 20s who received a double lung transplant, and her medical costs could also soar into the millions. Here is what Dr. Gordon Cohen told you, Dave, on Seattle's Morning News. Well, Dave, it's it's a really interesting question. What is the actual cost of providing medical care for all these patients? We don't even have any idea what the answer is to that because... First of all, we don't know what the average cost is going to be per patient, but for these critically ill patients, it's going to be similar to the case that was described in the Seattle Times, a million dollars or more. And secondly, as we start trying to do more and more novel treatments, like a double lung transplant, the cost is going to go way up as well. So the numbers are extraordinary. Now, in the case of the 70-year-old man, most of that will be paid for by Medicare coverage, but of course, that's ultimately paid by taxpayers. So uh, this tells me a couple of things. Dr. Cohen, who is a a cardiac surgeon, is very concerned that some of these treatments may go too far. If you were spending $1.2 million to buy even a few more years of time for someone who, because of genetics, is probably going to get infected with COVID again, is that a wise use of resources? In the whole history of since we started doing lung transplants worldwide, there's only been 55,000 lung transplants performed over a period of about 25 years. And the median survival rate right now is 5.8 years. That means that if you get a lung transplant, you survive about 5.8 years afterwards. So the survival benefit from lung transplant isn't tremendous. Now, what makes COVID different than any other type of lung disease is that COVID is, in fact, an infection. And in order to survive any sort of a transplant, you have to have suppression of your immune system and not insignificant suppression, not minor suppression. It's real significant suppression of the immune system so that you don't reject the organ. Now, in this particular patient, the patient tested negative for COVID-19, so they felt comfortable moving ahead. But the question is, we don't still really understand why young people, or really anybody, but young people for certain, get COVID-19. And as we've discussed on your show before, there's a possibility that there is a genetic component. If there's a genetic component, you may be actually making the patient more susceptible and more at risk to getting a new infection once their immune system is suppressed. The other thing is, It's a reminder that this is a serious illness for people who are vulnerable. It tells me that even if you don't believe in wearing a mask for you, you still have to wear it for people like this. And it also reminds us that people who know they have this kind of vulnerability may have to maintain the same social distancing rules that we've been doing for the past four months forever. Because if you are the type who's predisposed to this disease... (laughs) You do not want to get it under any circumstances. We will be back tomorrow and every day after with a 10-minute rundown of the daily local news. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can also find our news coverage on MyNorthwest.com or listen live at 97.3 FM.